For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Brady Farkas right here, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, Doug Flutie. With us momentarily, our producer is Aaron Wells as well. The Patriots are 4-5. and five. I hope we're done with the talk of them tanking because now the playoff tickets might be getting printed by people. They're getting ready for a big game against Houston this week. We're going to recap the Ravens game uh, as well right here. Former Ravens and Patriots wide receiver Kamar Aiken is going to stop by. He's the host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. And the podcast, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Our friends at Bet Online are the number one spot for you to get your wagers in during the course of the NFL season, during the course of the college football season. We got the NBA start date coming back December 22nd. So, all kinds of betting. And hey, with more restrictions coming all around the country, no one's going anywhere. You're saving money. If you're not buying a Christmas presents, just start gambling. Do it responsibly, of course. But betonline.ag is the place to go. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. You can follow Doug on Twitter. But you can also follow Doug on Instagram. We'll talk about that in a second. Aaron, to the podcast. What you are about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome back. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Doug Flutie is with me now. Doug, you are... You're 20 plus years older than me. You're on Instagram. I'm really not. Why are you so much cooler than me? <laughs> because my daughter knows how that stuff works. That's about <laughs> it. I, I don't even know my own passwords. <laughs> I have Instagram. I followed you on Instagram. Um, you got to start putting the con. You got to start putting our show out there on Instagram. That if we're gonna plug it, we got to get you using, you know, pimping us out a little bit. Yeah, I got to get my daughter hooked up and and get her. <laughs> Get, getting her on that because I don't post that stuff. What I do is I send some pictures to my daughter and she posts. She asks me what I want to say. She posts. Then I get on and I respond to people. I, I, have so, figured, I figured that part out anyway. I am so jealous of you. You're in Florida. It's probably warm. You played men's league baseball today through nine innings. I'm in Vermont. It's 31 and snowing out. Oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> you can always, I always said this. You don't have to wait for the weather to get good. You can move to where the warm already is. <laughs> now, were you always a warm weather guy at heart, even though you were playing a lot of cold weather places? You know, I grew up in Florida, actually, as a little kid at the beach outside. I mean, you threw on a pair of shorts, you were dressed for the day, and you didn't come back in until after dark. Yeah. Uh, then I moved to Boston when I was 13 and did all I did there. So I was used to playing in cold weather, used to all that. And as I got old, I got, uh, I don't know, maybe I got weak, got wimpy, turned around <laughs> and said, I'm going back to the warm. You know, I've heard a lot of people say this recently as, as this podcast takes off and as my radio show um, is born and kind of takes off, I get more and more people talking to me about you. 
Has your band played up? You, you play music with your brother. Has your band played in Vermont? Because I have people telling me that you have played near where I'm currently located in, in, uh, in Stowe. We played up at the Matterhorn. Uh, I think that's near Stowe. Yeah, yeah, that's, we, that's yeah, where I, I am. I think we've played, up, we've played up in Stowe a couple of times up at uh, the Matterhorn. A friend of ours owns the bar. He bugged us for years to come up there. And for all the other guys, they just get in the car and drive up. I got to take a plane to Boston and then make the drive up. You know, so, um, it was a little tough to get to, but boy, we had a blast up there. Had a blast. If the Patriots um, fall out of the playoff race or we get in the offseason, are we going to get some flutey band deep tracks coming on this podcast? Oh, sure. Why not? Why not? My, hey, all I got to do is whisper that idea to my guitarist, Mike Smith. And okay. Mike will be all over it. Mike's like, he he's dying to get into a studio and record again. He wants to do this. He's, he's written songs. We're like, come on. He's, uh, we're all gung-ho. We have a lot of fun. But this uh, COVID thing put a damper on things. We've just done some virtual stuff. Does the Flutie band play original music or is it cover songs? We primarily play covers. We just go out and play bars and play whatever and have fun. A lot of... Uh, a lot of charity events, a lot of corporate events, that type of stuff. Stuff at Super Bowl, all that. that's the best. We open for big bands at Super Bowl every year for like 20 years. We open really? for oh yeah. We uh geez, we opened for Skinner and Marshall Tucker and who was uh you know, just one after another, all the all the mainstream acts, but we would play the tailgate party at the stadium. And we got an automatic twenty thousand people. You know, it was like <laughs> love it. Did the same thing at the final four a few years. So uh, we've had some, we've had some real fun. It's did been you, a lot of fun. Did you ever uh, do Radio Row like as a oh. go through the car wash? Because I, I went there four years in a row. I might not have been there when you were there, but I, I certainly never had you on there. But mm. did you? Did you? What did you think of your Radio Row experiences? Uh, it's actually, you know, what it becomes for us is like a class reunion. You're just bumping into old faces and old friends that you haven't seen in a long time. You do the radio spiel and you jump on, you, you hawk your product and do some interviews about Super Bowl and you move on. Da, 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 da. It's, it's annoying from that standpoint, but it is so much fun bumping into everybody, the guys that I've played with, guys that coached with or, or coached me and uh, old, just old friends. It's, it's really actually a lot of fun. See, it's great to hear you be honest, saying that we're that us radio types are annoying. For me, up here in Vermont, it's like this is my one chance to get a Doug Flutie on. For me, it's like Christmas Day. Oh, uh, well, it's fun. No, you know, you dread it because you go in as an athlete, and you're going to be there for four hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever it might be, and it's a grind. But what ends up happening is you embrace it, and you start doing the interview. The early morning stinks. Don't you know? <laughs> The, the, the getting there early in the morning, once you get rolling, you start having fun. You know, you wake up a little bit, you're bumping into old friends. You're, you're, and most of the conversation on the radio is just upbeat and fun anyway. So it's just getting yourself out of bed, getting in there and knowing you're going to be there for, say, six to eight hours. Yeah. That's the grind part of it. But you end up having a lot of fun. Well, it's certainly a lot of fun, and I'm glad that you were doing it. And yeah, we got to get to the well, the Flutie deep tracks might be coming at some point in this podcast <laughs> history. Um, Patriots beat the Ravens 23-17. Before we get into overall takeaways, the weather was nuts, okay? The driving rainstorm in the fourth quarter, the kind of constant annoyance, wind, and some light rain early. When you're playing in weather like that, what does it do to you, the quarterback? Uh, it just makes you paranoid about every little detail of holding on to the ball. For us, it was under center all the time. So taking a snap from center, the exchange, the handoff, all that is very deliberate. 
The grip mm -hmm. on the ball is iffy. You're keeping the left hand on the ball a lot longer. I finally found some gloves when I was playing in uh, Canada that I could throw with and that I could grip the ball. Um, and that part, that, that paranoia went away. And what ended up bothering me more than the rain became the wind. The windy days are, are, were harsh on the, you know, throwing the ball into the wind. And again, going to a glove that I found I could still grip the ball with. Um, you put more revolutions on the ball. The ball spins better. I get more grip spinning it, and it cuts through the wind better. I started, by the end of my career, those nasty weather games I always thought of as an advantage because I learned to throw with the glove. Mm. And, uh, you know, and the glove doesn't keep your hand warm. In the cold days, it makes your hands colder because you can't put your hands together to warm them up or up underneath your shoulder pads or, or you know, against your body to warm them up. You can't once once you decide to wear gloves, you can't get your hands to warm until you get to the sideline near a heater. What's the worst weather to play in? OK, wind, I think, obviously, I think that was obvious to me. That's bad. Is it worse to play in the rain or in the cold? Um, the rain and Tommy old Tom Brady would back this up. Tom's biggest paranoia was always the rain. He, he mm. messed with, he took the gloves that I used and yeah. started messing with those and, and figuring what he could and couldn't throw with. He used them a few times. I haven't seen him late. Like the other night he had a really rainy game you know, two weeks ago where he struggled. Um, I, but to me, it was, it became the win we played. And this is, we played a game. Now you got to you got to quantify the cold part. First of all, the wind part. Played a game in Winnipeg with steady thirty to fifty mile an hour winds with gusts up to seventy miles an hour. Oh. I threw a ball. I, I was I stepped up through the pocket, moving to my left, rolling towards the line of scrimmage, and the guy was running across the field long, all by himself. I gunned it as hard as I could. I was trying to throw the ball about thirty to forty yards. It hit the wind and just started going vertical. Wow. came back. He saw the ball the whole way, chased it, ran. Now, I threw it from about 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He ran at it, ran at it, ran at it, dove. Now, I threw this thing as hard as I could. It was an eight-yard game. The ball went 18 <laughs> yards. Um, that, was, that was the windiest day I'd ever played in, the coldest day I've ever played in. We were playing a playoff game in Calgary, and it was um, – it was minus 20 pregame. Oh. And by the end of the game, it was minus 44 with 35 mile an hour winds and a minus 85 wind chill. Oh my and God. At halftime, it had been snowing through the game. We were playing in Calgary. At halftime, they took an extended halftime and plowed the field because there's like a foot of snow on the field. So they shut the heaters down to save the propane. When they went to turn the heaters on the beginning of the second half, it was so cold. The propane had thickened up and there were no heaters in the second half. It was sheer. The second half was sheer misery. If you go back and watch the film of that game, you just see the athleticism go fall off the chart. There's like guys, the two inside linebackers for Edmonton came out in the second half with down ski jackets under their pads and ski mittens on. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me getting ready to go play in the backyard with my dad or something when I was like five. Uh, it the was first, the wind story you told sounded like throwing a frisbee. You throw a frisbee up, it and was all of a sudden it yes. comes back to you. That's exactly what it looked like. Exactly what it looked like. I threw for we had the wind at our back. I threw for 220 yards in the first quarter. We went into the wind in the second quarter. We picked the win for the fourth quarter, so we gave them the third quarter with the win. In the beginning of the fourth quarter, the wind shifted and came back in our face. I threw for 19 yards from the beginning of the second quarter to the end of the game. 
I threw for 220 in the first quarter. The other quarter, we had the wind at our back. Um, <laughs> it It's probably too much – it's probably too harsh to say the Ravens looked unprepared to play in the weather, but they certainly were victims of the weather. They had those two bad snaps that cost them 27 yards. The one was on the fourth and one play that they lined up in the Wildcat. The other one was as they're trying to come back. They snap it over Jackson's head. It ends up being second and 26. It might be unfair to say they were unprepared, but the Patriots certainly looked prepared to play in it. What does Bill do to get you ready for all kind of weather scenarios? Because I imagine he practices for that. Yes. When Bill decides these days of the week we're practicing outside, you're practicing outside. Because whatever the weather is, none of, and all, everyone has these beautiful indoor facilities, right? Yeah. And you could just go inside. You, there's a mindset to it. You've got to get not that you got to get used to the actual conditions. You got to condition your mind to deal with it because there are some things. There are some things like getting rid of the gloves in, in rain. Get mo the the real tacky gloves that you see the one handed catches in the rain. They become skillets, yeah. And the ball just goes off them. You got a body catch sometimes. Go to the bare hands. Do whatever. Um, and there's a mindset that comes with it. It's a mental. You know, I, I got, it took me a while. I, middle of my career, when I started playing in Canada, it became a mindset that nasty conditions were an advantage for me because I went to the glove. I, whether they were or not, it was that mindset that it's going to work. They came into, they came into that game knowing they wanted to run the football and they ran the football and they had a mindset about it, an attitude about it. And, and Cam at quarterback, that weather, I mean, he's going to do what he does anyway. He's going to do the quarterback runs, short passing game, a hard play action passing game, and, and that's it. Now, Lamar, Lamar Jackson in those kind of conditions, you can't wheel and deal as much. You can't take as many risks. You can't sling it around and maybe not be quite as agile. So um, I think it, it worked in the Patriots' favor. Aaron, let's get to the overall takeaways here because i got a couple things I want to throw at Doug. Overall takeaways, number one. All right, Doug, first and foremost, I, I'm just done with the expectation the Patriots are going to look pretty. Like, I, I'm just done yeah. with trying to make them look a certain way. Like, early in the year, we want them to look like Kansas City. We want them to look like the Rams. We want them to look like Seattle. They're not pretty. They're not stylistic. But they have the ability to be effective. I'm done trying to judge how they play. Yeah, no, no doubt. This is – I think we saw what they are the last two weeks, actually, but this week. Um, they're going to run the football, do the play-action game. Cam is a runner, short passing game, maybe hit a shot, you know, call the trick play to hit the shot. What the heck? Yeah. Um, that is what they are. But the problem with that, you know, I mean, that's great. They've won two in a row, and they kind of got themselves back in the picture. The margin of error becomes very slim. It's not going to be a blowout. It's not going to be a 40-10 to 10 game or 30-something win by three scores. In that game, and I, I said this, actually, my wife even said this to me, shouldn't the Patriots be up by more? They're only up by seven. You know, it's like they dominated three quarters of that game. They dominated it. And they should have been up, or it felt like they should be up by 17 or 20 points. But they're only up by one score. And come down the wire, all of a sudden the ball's back in Lamar Jackson's hands and anything could happen. The conditions were such that, you know, he was limited and nothing happened. The Patriots played really good defense and shut them down. And there was no uh, no doubt about it at the end of the game and how they won. But running, and I said this earlier, you know, you, you talk about running the ball to win. Yes, it helps. Yes, it takes pressure off the offensive line and does a lot of things. 
but it's going to be a close game. It's going to be tight. You can dominate the game for three to four quarters running the football and be up by a field goal. You know, I'm, it's it's tight. I'm I'm with you. I think what they're doing is sustainable, but there's a lot of conditions on it. It's going to be a lesser margin of error. It is hard to go 14 plays and 80 yards mm -hmm. every time. The turnover battle is the biggest thing for them, I think. They're 4-0 and when they win the turnover battle this year. 4-0 and when they win the turnover battle. And I understand it's hard to say never turn the ball over, and that leads to Cam being too careful and all that. But they clearly have a formula that can work, but I'm with you. The margin of error is, is small. Yeah, when you say, you know, win the turnover, but that's so funny. You know, you, you see the guys on ESPN or whatever, and, oh, they got to win the turnover battle, and they've got to do this, and they got to do that. You win the turnover battle, being smart with the football, yes, but you win it by dominating the game, by controlling the line of scrimmage, by, you know, being smart with your decision-making. When, when guys aren't being blocked and they're in your face, you know what? You're going to turn the ball over because you're getting hit as you throw. The ball goes up in the air and a guy picks it. When coverage is tight and you have to make a play because you're behind and you're trying to force it down the field, you turn it over. So part of playing good football and having secure blocks at the line of scrimmage in a solid run game protects your quarterback that much more and you make it, you know, this decision-making becomes easier. You've got that fraction of, you know, when the guy gets free up through the A-gap and hits you in the backfield before the handoff happened, the ball's on the ground. So it's, you know, you say win the turnover battle, but with, with the way you win it is by playing good football, by being sound up front in the O-line and not getting a blindside hit on your quarterback and not having your tailback hit at the exchange point or, you know, a jailbreak, that type of stuff. So, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, just be careful with the football and don't turn it over. But a lot of that plays into that. They also, like we mentioned, the snaps were good for New England. They weren't good for Baltimore. And the Patriots only committed three penalties. And I, I think when you put it all together, they played a pretty flawless game when you, other than folks missed extra point, which almost came back to kill them. They played a pretty flawless game. They really did. They played. And, and that's the scary part of it. I mean, they played so well, they run the ball so well. Um, Cam's doing the things that he does as far as running with the football and also, you know, hitting the short passing game. Um, so you say that they played flawlessly and it's a one score game coming. And that, that to me is the 1980s yeah. NFL. You know, that's the way, that's the way it was back then. You know, you wanted to just, you know, it was okay to run the ball, work the clock, get three first downs and punt them deep, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and, and you, you add into the mix, the uh, Patriots created a fourth down turnover on the bad snap. Right. Yeah. And they were in the off scoring zone already. So they got a couple of breaks and played great football. And it was still that one score game. So the margin error is slim, but they're they're playing. Yeah, and even when they were getting beat, I thought they played tough. Uh, I think Cam's played tough all year long and put them in a position to win. It just hasn't didn't always happen. Let me ask you this because, and I got to take a second here to kind of talk through this process. The Patriots are clearly, I think, taking advantage of a league wide trend, right? So the league has gotten offensively driven faster offensive players, quicker offensive players. Therefore, defenses have started to respond. They have lighter defensive players, quicker defensive players. And also then defensive players that could be more easily pushed up front. Do you think that Belichick 
saw this years in advance and tried to construct the Patriots like this, he's zigging while everyone's zagging, or did they just kind of back into this style of play because of lack of downfield personnel? I, I think they've fallen into this style of play. Um, I know that that Bill was on to that a few years ago with the multiple tight end sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I know over at Boston College they were doing it, and that was the the mentality is that everything – goes in cycles. Okay. Just as you said, offenses start spreading you out. No, oh, we got to catch up with the offense. It's getting light. It's getting an extra DB on the field. Okay. Then it lends itself to the Gronks of the world that could be a receiver as a tight end, but then motion into the backfield and be a lead blocker. And you still could run your two back runs into a nickel front, a dime yep. front. And you've got these multiple tight ends that are very versatile. that can all of a sudden be big guys too and drive. So that was the key. The key position became the tight end position to allow that stuff to happen, to allow uh, the offense to look like we're spreading you out with all our skill guys. Now, you know what? Our skill guys are pretty big. We're motioning in the backfield and we can still pound on you. And I think there is a trend to do that. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, a movement to, to do it a little bit, but the rules, the rules of the game have opened up the passing game as well. And you can't, you can't let the chances for big plays and interference calls and illegal contact down the field and all that. You you got to take advantage of those rules too and still air it out a little bit. Uh, Aaron, let's get to the uh, number two takeaway here. Number two, Doug. I think my other takeaway mainly is that twofold. Cam looks more comfortable. And that I think Josh McDaniels did a very good job on Sunday night. And I've been critical of McDaniels for what I think is lack of creativity at times. But he put the guys in a position to be successful the other day in a way that I haven't seen enough of in my mind. I think Cam was 9 of 12 on play action. And we've talked a lot about play action. And if you're going to run the ball as much as they are, that is going to open up play fake opportunities for you. And Cam looks comfortable doing that, and for a couple different reasons. And I want your take on both of these. First, from Cam's perspective, running play action, and if, the, if teams are going to start to stack the box and try to stop the run, if Cam's going to play fake, it gives him, one, less people defensively to have to try to read, and two, gives him maybe more one-on-one coverage. So it just makes his job a little easier. Am I right on that? I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, there's two aspects of it. Um they need to get an extra safety down low to worry about the quarterback runs as well with camp and the running game in general. So you're going to be squeezing. And when you go play action, they're going to react up quickly. Now, yes, you've get, you get more one-on-one leverage outside, one more coverage outside. Sometimes no safety help because of the hard play action. You can do that. Some of it's movement, like RPO type stuff where you're reading Mm -hmm. a guy, can the guy chase down, boom, bang, you hit the slant right behind him. All that stuff. Um, I was going to say is simple. To re- the reads are relatively simple once you get to the pass game aspect of it yep. because it's this guy versus that guy. He's one to two. It's not a five receiver route, reading rotation of coverage, a whole field read. It's an area read or individual one to two read. Um, the hard part becomes the RPOs for me because I never – well, I did them in a different way, but not like what they're doing right now. The sticking the ball in someone's belly, reading the defender – and seeing that linebacker step up, then pulling and setting and throw. This is stuff that Cam has done his whole life, that the younger quarterbacks today, the Kyler Murrays and everyone else, have all done. 
And to, once you pull the ball, the read's easy. There's no, the read's already done. I'm pulling the ball because that guy moved. It's a one receiver thing. So it's not those full field reads that we used to have. So that aspect of it, I think, is a layup for Cam. It's stuff he's really comfortable with. And Josh is doing a great job, Josh McDaniels, of doing a great job of giving him more and more of that type of stuff. How about from the wide receiver's perspective? I look at the Patriots wide receivers and say, okay, they don't have a physical specimen like DK Metcalf. They don't have some elite burner like Tyree Kill. If the teams are going to stack the box, is that going to make it easier for a, quote, lesser athletic receiver to get open? Because now there's just less people there in the defensive backfield. That one-on-one battle helps Cam with his read, but also helps a receiver get open who might need a little more help getting open. Yeah, that, that that's true. Um, you know, if, if you're on defense – and you're facing the Patriots or a team that you don't believe they have a dynamic single wide receiver, um, you're going to be more willing to play man coverage. You're, you're going to be more willing to take your DB, put a one-on-one, get the extra guy in the box and stop the run. You're willing to take those risks. And, and the trick was always, if you're going to play straight man with a free safety, you take your best defensive back, put him over on the number two receiver and shut that guy down. That way the safety can help the other guy on the other side and you got help. Um, so yeah, you, there are ways to do it. Now, if you're going all out blitz and just what we call zero coverage, no safety in the middle and everyone's one-on-one. Now you want your best DB on the best receiver. And if you're not scared of those guys and you're, if you're looking at the Patriots, you're not scared of the deep threat by receivers and you're not scared of the deep threat of Cam throwing the ball right now. I mean, he's hitting plays. He's hitting those mid-range runs. You don't have to throw the ball 40 yards down the field to hit that one-on-one play and have them run. You can hit a slant. You can hit a drag route running across the field and come out the back door. There's all kinds of ways to still make the big play out of it. But um, right now the Patriots are missing that aspect of the game is the downfield route. So why not blitz? Okay, yeah, they make a play. It's an eight-yard gain. We'll live with that. You know, they're not killing you for the home run ball right now. The Patriots have a good run game, so I understand that it would help. But do you need a good run game to still have effective play action? Um. You need a yes, you do in an aspect of you have to have an efficient run game, and that's the way I always phrased it. I always like to get into short yardage situation and then be able to run the ball in short yardage, and then your key play action passes were first and always first and ten. Still, they got to honor the run on first down. You can still go hard play action, whether you're running the ball well or not. You can go hard play action on first down because the defense is always thinking okay, they're going to run it this time. They've thrown the ball in first down five times in a row. They're going to run. Nope, don't have to. But also that opens up the gate for, for the third and short. That was my, my approach to it was always throw the ball to move the ball down the field, run the ball when it's given to you, when you have yeah. a, you know, definite numbers and, and short yardage situations where you have, you know, Cam at the quarterback sneaks from two yards and less has, has been awesome. Um, so I don't think you need a great running game to do it. But right now with the way the Patriots are running the ball, I think it just really opens the floodgates to do the hard, you know, the hard stuff, the hard play action and get the deep crossers and stuff down the field. It was interesting what you just said a minute ago. I want to go back to it. Cam was blitzed again, and I forget what the percentage was, but it was like the, the highest or the second highest percentage of his career. And he's been blitzed a lot in the last two weeks. My gut said – why are these teams blitzing? Because if the Pats don't have anybody that can beat you on the outside, why would we give them some situations where Cam can get rid of it quickly and maybe jailbreak a big play? Why are they blitzing Cam so much here? They just 
they just assume, hey, if he gets rid of it quick, eight-yard gain, we tackle the guy instantly? Is that what their thought process is? It's a great way to get off the field. It's We're going to pressure him. We're going to get in his face. We're going to hit a, get a hit on him and maybe sack him. And we have the extra guy up there, or two guys, whatever it might be, to stop the quarterback run in third and medium. Third. Now, you get in third and long, you blitz and play off, make him throw it in front of you and tackle and get him off the field that way. Um, if you're not getting beat by the home run ball in blitz situations, you don't hesitate to blitz. You know, if he gets it out of his hand and they, they still got to execute the blocking scheme, know where the free rusher is, guy breaking off a route or have a quick route and get the ball out, it's not easy to hit that little six-yard slant all the time or the quick out or whatever versus blitz because there's a, it's sped up and guys got to connect and you got to make – so and usually it's tight coverage. So if it's only the six-yard gain and you make the hit, ah, I got the first down that time, it's worth the risk defensively to, to do it. Um, you've got to start burning. And my my philosophy went through cycles where when I was young, it was as soon as they're going blitz, I'm throwing the post, I'm throwing the one-on-one deep shot, we're, we're going to burn them, we're hitting the home run. Yeah. Well, they know that too, and they play for those shots. So it became easier to take the completion in front of them and hope the guy breaks a tackle or just make sure you convert the first down. And that's what I gravitated to later in my career and then once in a while took the shot. Aaron, let's get to uh, what they're saying. People saying stuff locally, regionally, nationally on the Pats. Let's hear what they're saying. Sometimes people say stupid things. I said, how do I want Patriot games to go? For Cam to play great and they to lose in heartbreak. Check and check. Everything came up, Nick, right this weekend. Sometimes people say smart things, but it works. I thought Cam was accurate. I thought he made really good decisions. They played to his strengths. Locally, regionally, nationally. Here's what they're saying about your New England Patriots. Keyshawn Johnson, former Jets wide receiver, Bucks, Cowboys, um, former number one pick in the draft. He was on ESPN Radio. He's now a host of ESPN Radio. He said this, uh, Aaron, let's hear what he said about Cam, just his impression of Cam, the football player. Better as a football player all the way around. Not, not this passer that everybody wants him to be. He's that's not who he is. He's a football player and a dominant football player when he's healthy. So, Doug, I think what Keyshawn's saying is that Cam isn't a traditional quarterback. He is just he's a great football player. And I want to ask, I think when Cam was coming up, the prototype worked to his favor. He was big, he was strong, he came from a power five school, he had a huge arm. I think the prototype used to work in his favor. Now I think the prototype works against Cam. Do you agree with that also? A little bit, a little bit. I think this has always been Cam, really. What he does best is uh, be a little bit of an athlete, do what the situation calls for, whether it's the, like the quarterback sneaks or running over a guy, running, putting the shoulder down. Um, I, I did think I saw him throwing the ball down the field a little more when he was younger. Uh, but to say he's a football player, I agree 100%. He's yeah. situational stuff. There's some guys that just thrive in situational football, you know, of two minute drills. How do we get the first? Can we move the chains? Just move the chains. I don't care how you do it. You know, it, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be pretty. The problem is Cam 6'6, six, six, and you think of the Tom Brady's and the Aaron, the stand in the pocket and gun it down the field. Cause I've seen that out of him before. I've seen that arm before. Yeah. All right. He, he, he's not the package that is Kyler Murray, even though Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, 
uh, Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton can all run the same offense because they're running RPO stuff and running the football and throwing these passes. So it's kind of funny. He's he's this big guy doing what a lot of the little guys do offensively. Did you battle this, the the prototype thing when you were coming around? Because we always hear the little quarterback. And, and look, it's opened up a little more now, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, but it was Drew Brees and it was you for a long time as the, quote, undersized quarterback. What was it like for you trying to battle the prototype stigma, I guess? So frustrating because I could do – I could – I was under center the majority of my career. I was yeah. under center. There's very little shotgun. We got the shotgun third down, you know, the second half of my career, all that. But, um, you know, you're trying to prove to these guys that you can read things out, make all the throws, and I could. But that wasn't my strength. I mean, I could do it. I had to do that stuff well enough for them to give me a chance and put me on the field. and then. The game situations. I remember the first first year I finally got a bunch of starts in New England. I threw some back shoulder throws. We were playing the Oilers, the Houston yeah. Oilers. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I threw some back shoulder throws, and they were giving me a hard time about underthrowing the ball. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm underthrowing it intentionally. I'm putting yeah. it in a spot where I got. Oh, come on, you're not do you, you threw that on. Yeah, I threw that there because that's where you could get it. They didn't get that stuff. And, you know, that's just at the time, just being a, a football player and being an athlete and and trying, you know, drifting away from the blitz and throwing it deep rather than setting my feet and throwing the hot and getting hit. Um, you know, those types of things are instinctive football plays. And it's the stuff that you see Mahomes do all the time that I absolutely love. But the the, the, the bottom line comes, you've got to be able to tell your offensive coordinator your pass protections, where you're hot, be able to change protections, find the hot receiver, know how to read through a progression and get to the right guy. you got to be able to do all that before you're allowed on the field because they've got to be able to trust you out there. It sounds like you were doing things that your coaches didn't like or didn't understand at first. So I'm going to ask you, I coached junior college baseball for three years. And at the time I was coaching, I was very much like, this is what the way we do it. And it's got to be A, B, and C. And I had a kid who was a great player, had a ton of talent, but he was on his own plan. Like, I'm going to throw 300 feet in warm-ups. I want, like, I want a guy to throw 40 feet. He wants to throw 300 feet. And, like, he and I clashed about that. Did you clash with coaches who saw you doing, quote, the Doug Flutie plan as opposed to the team plan? Um, I did. I always, always tried. And I think to a fault. I tried to do it how I was coached all the time. Yeah. And then the game would, then I'd have these mediocre days where I'm 50% passing. We throw them for garbage yardage. And then we get the ball in two minute and then it was game time. Then it was scramble, make a first down. We got to score any way possible, get out of bounds. Do the, and, and then I felt natural and it was so, it seemed easy. And there, there's a happy median there on game day where, you have to be able to – I mean, if that, if that number one receiver is open or you've got to check a protection, you got to be able to do that stuff. And there, there was it, – it was, it was funny because you would just feel – you know, all week long in practice, I had two guys off the right side and it's hot and I hit the tight end. But you know what? On game day, I threw the, out, I threw the quick out on the weak side. I drifted away from that guy and threw the easy quick out with the off corner instead of throwing the ball through an unblocked defender. And I just did it. 
And then I'd get to the sideline, the coaches would ask me why, and I'd just say, well, he was open. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, it is the Believe in Patriots podcast. Brady Farkas, Doug Flutie, Aaron Wells is our producer. I had an opportunity earlier in the week on my radio show, the Brady Farkas show, to speak with Kamar Aiken. Kamar Aiken is a former Ravens wide receiver. He spent a little bit of time with the Patriots as well. Back, uh, Actually scored a touchdown against the Pats in the 2015 divisional round of the playoffs. The game the Patriots won 35-31. to so Kamar was with us on my radio show. We're going to play that interview back for you now, the extended version. He's also the host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. So here's Kamar Aiken. <laughs> Welcome back to the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reacting to the Patriots' surprising upset 23-17 win over the Ravens. To break it down with us now is Kamar Aiken. Spent seven years in the NFL. Spent a little bit of time with the Patriots that we'll get to, but also led the Ravens in receiving a couple of seasons, helped play the Patriots in the playoffs for the Ravens. He's the host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. Kamar, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Well, we're doing very well considering what the Patriots did last night. I guess overall your reaction to what you watched last night. Um, I would say big win for the Patriots, big loss for Baltimore uh, in in a lot of areas as far as injuries. Um, I feel like that was a a big game they should have won. Um, just, just seeing how New England, New England is not the New England that we know of right now. So I, I would say that, that was a disappointing loss for Baltimore. Take me through as a guy who played wide receiver, a speed position, when the weather is happening like that, when it's raining in that way, what mm-hmm. are you, what's going through your mind on the field? What's happening to you? As a player, I'm saying run the ball and let's get up out of here as fast as we can. Get a win and get up out of here and get back home. Cause I, as a receiver, you hate wet ball games cause the ball comes out different. It's a lot more slick. Um, the expectations are still the same as far as you still have to go out and do your job. But it's a it's a harder task to do in the ball and the field slippery. You know, so Lamar had a decent enough game passing, right, 260 yards. The Patriots really don't pass at all well, and Cam only threw for, you know, mm-hmm. 120 yards. But both teams, their identity is running the football. In today's NFL, can that be your identity? Can you be a primary running team like both these teams are and have success? You can if your defense is is a pretty good defense, a top five defense. And if you're going to do it, do that way and run the ball a lot, you have to do it uh, very efficient and, and be one of the best to do it. You just can't be average at running it or good some days. It, it kind of be it kind of has to be above average. You know, it's so weird to me. I've been critical of Josh McDaniels as an offensive coordinator for the Patriots, but I also didn't play the game at the level that you did. So I'm sure he's doing something brilliant. But outside of the past. You know, the, the play call from where Jacoby Myers throws the touchdown pass to Burkhead. I don't see a whole lot of creativity out of this offense. Like, what do the Patriots do? What's so special about their running game that allows it to be successful? Because it doesn't look all that pretty. Um, I think it's it's the play calling. Um, Bill does a real good job of making sure that they know uh, what you're going to be in prior to them calling. So usually when they call plays like that, they know exactly what you're going to be in and, and, and they know how to exploit that. So I would say play calling is a is a big thing, and, and Bill has a, a big part to do with that, as well as their analytics. They probably have the best analytics team in the league. <laughs> From the Ravens' perspective, we heard a lot last week. I heard a lot of people making excuses for Lamar Jackson, saying he doesn't have great weapons on the outside. Do you think that that's true? No, I don't think that's true at all. I think he has great weapons on the outside. You look at Hollywood, who's a guy who came out of college that was, was one of those elite-type receivers, take the top off of defense, big play guy, and – I feel like for, for them right now, it's not just Lamar. I feel like it's play calling. Those coaches got to do a better job of putting um, Hollywood in better situations to, to make plays and, 
and to better use his skill set. I, I think they're doing a poor job of using their receivers to their to their max and their best skill set. Kamari can join me here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, host of the Believe in Ravens podcast and the Believe Podcast Network, where I do the Patriots podcast um, with Doug Flutie. And, you know, you spent a little bit of time in Foxborough, right? So you were here for, you know, kind of bouncing between the practice squad and the active roster and then here part of an offseason, too. Even though it was limited, what was your overall experience playing for the Patriots? Um, they taught me how to be a pro, um, how to work, how to carry yourself, how to take care of your body. Um, they they kind of exposed all the areas that I kind of had uh, negatives and didn't take too serious. Um, so they kind of uh, opened my eyes to the NFL and kind of, uh, to be honest, gave me my foundation to, to go ahead and continue my career. Did you get a lot of experience or a lot of interaction with Belichick, with McDaniels, with Tom Brady? Does that happen for a guy who's in your situation? Uh, yes, because when I was there, they actually threw me in the lineup pretty quick. So I was actually in the rotation prior to, uh, prior to me hurting my hamstring and getting injured. Injuries is, is what really threw me back on a depth chart in New England. But if it wasn't for injuries, I was pretty high on the depth chart and was pretty uh, involved in everything. We've heard famously forever about how Tom Brady's a great teammate and knows all his receivers' names real quickly and all this. What was your experience like with Brady specifically? Uh, same. Uh, first person that's going to greet you, first person that's going to talk to you. Um, he's easy to talk to, approachable. Um, for me, it was more like I played with a GM because he has that uh, aroma <laughs> of a GM. So it, it doesn't feel like you're just playing for a quarterback. Um, it, it almost feels like you're playing for upstairs at the same time. But at the same time, he just—he's a great guy. He's not what people might think he is, um, as far as the pre-Madonna. But he, he talks to you. He's—he's he's humble, um, and yeah, he's—he's he's very approachable. You talk about the Patriots kind of giving you your foundation, and then subsequently you go to Baltimore and have a very good run there. I think seventy-five catches uh, mm-hmm. in, in one year there. As Patriot fans, we're waiting for Nikhil Harry to do something offensively, right? First-round pick last year, didn't even have a target last night. Mm-hmm. How long? Should we be giving him? Like you talk, you were a couple of years in the league before it really took off for you. How long do I give? Uh, how long of a runway do I give Harry? Um, I don't say you give him too too long of a runway just because they're giving him the opportunities and you're out there. My situation was different. I wasn't presented those opportunities. I kind of had to wait for those opportunities to present themselves. But I feel like if you're getting those opportunities, you're getting the one and the number one and number two targets. I feel like it, it should be a little more. Um, I haven't been watching them, to, to, to be honest, to, to really see exactly what their play calling is and how they're trying to use him. But um, in the past, I've never seen New England, to be honest, use bigger body type receivers well in their system. Hmm. It's always been the smaller guys that, that have been more efficient and more productive in their system. That's interesting that you say that. Why do you think that is? Because we've seen Edelman be successful for years and Amendola and Welker. And now Jacoby Myers is the new one, right? Mm-hmm. Five foot, five foot nine, but he always seems to know the spot. Why is it that smaller receivers are better in New England? Um, they use their passing game as rundown. So uh, tr- traditionally, most offenses, when they pass the ball, it's, hey, we're passing, trying to get a first down. They will pass the ball literally get to get three yards, five yards, because they're in their mindset, they're thinking, hey, this is a run play still. So even though it's a pass, it's still a run. We're still getting chunks of yards. So when you have an offense that uses receivers like that, you get the smaller guys, they get in those little tight windows, and you're able to dump off the 10-yard passes, the 15-yard, the you know, the little dump-off passes. So it, it just works better for their system and their mindset as far as when we pass, it's, it's like a run. Both with Baltimore and with New England, you have quarterbacks that are dual-threat quarterbacks, different ways, right? Lamar's a guy who can take off and go for 100 any time, and Cam's a guy who's going to run, as we saw yesterday, some quarterback power. What's it like to be a receiver – 
in an offense where you don't exactly know what your quarterback's going to do on any given play? Oh, for the receiver, it's probably frustrating. For Hollywood, I, I can speak for uh, not knowing what Hollywood's going through, but if I'm in his shoes, I, I would say it's frustrating just because you're running a million routes during that week of practice for preparation, and then you get to the game, and then you probably don't see half of those routes or uh, a pass attempt come your way. So I would say it, it, it can get frustrating when you have a, a quarterback that's a dual threat. Um, you just got to, to be honest, you just got to keep your mind sane and, and just wait because there is going to be a game when he's not that dual threat and he's really throwing the ball and doing everything he's supposed to and you're going to have to be ready. So it's just keeping your mind clear and, try, and trying to stay focused on what you can control. You can't control who's the quarterback and, and what he does well. Um, one thing you can do is win on your routes and that's going to show up on film. You played with Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. I thought Joe Flacco was kind of washed up for a couple of years. Now, the Patriots made him look like Tom Brady last week in a win against the Jets. What was your experience like playing with Flacco? Uh, Joe's a great quarterback. Um, throws a great ball, uh, very catchable. He's a, he's a receiver-friendly type quarterback. And when I say that, I mean that you have some quarterbacks that's, that's gunslingers. I played with Wentz. He's a gunslinger. He's just going to sling it. It's one, it's one speed. It's It's – this is how it's coming out every time. With Joe, he had touch behind his balls. His deep balls was probably the the better the best out of any quarterback I've played with. Um, I, I would say he, he wasn't washed when he was in Bmore. I feel like we had a lot of moving parts as far as coaching and as far as offensive yeah. coordinators. We went through what three or four offensive coordinators in that little span. So I felt like that had a big uh, role in it. Um, not so much of him. And then he had the injury with the ACL. You talk about quarterbacks and ball placement, et cetera. We were talking about this, Flutie and I, the last time we spoke about Cam Newton. It's It almost looks uncomfortable for him to throw the ball at some point, not because he has a bad arm or anything, but it just seems to be a little bit off. As a receiver, where exactly do you want the football? Like, Where's the best position for you to get the football? Because Cam does seem to be a little bit off here or there when he throws it. Um the great receivers, you don't care where it's at. You just want it in your in your vicinity to be able to to reach to it. Um, the the receivers, that's a little more consistent, the more seasoned guys that that know, hey, if the ball's right here, I can turn this into a big play. I would say eye level. When you're a taller guy, six two and above, those below the waist catches are harder catches to have. You have some guys that can do it, but a lot of guys don't like to catch with their body. That's one thing, or don't know how to catch with their body. Mm. Um, even though it's the NFL, you still have guys that struggle with some of these things. So I, I would say eye level. Um, a quarterback that that I talked to, I didn't get to play with him, but we talked a lot, uh, was Andrew Luck. Yeah. And he, he was big on making sure that, hey, if the ball is not right here at eye level, then it's a bad pass on me. Like every time I want you to catch it in stride and not have to worry about, hey, I got to go too low to the ground and go get it. It's always catching in stride and be able to make a play and go upfield. Kamar Aiken with me here, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I'll get you out of here on two two kind of fun questions. Last night, the big play around the NFL was the Kyler Murray Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins. What's the, cra- what's the craziest play you've been a part of? Uh, I had a Hail Mary, too, versus Kansas City. <laughs> really? Okay, I forgot that one. I forgot that one then. We had a, yeah, we, we had Jimmy. Jimmy Clausen was the quarterback. Um, it was right before halftime, and we, held the, we threw a Hail Mary. I literally looked at it. Um, and I made everybody else run up ahead of me. And I, I was like, everybody's focused on the ball. They don't know where I'm at anymore. And I literally came in and just plucked it. So I would say that was probably a, a, a big moment. Because you, you never you, – you run Hail Marys, but the chances of you successfully completing that is, is very slim. So I, I would say that that was a big one. I think the I think the year was 2014. I think it's the year the Patriots went on to beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. But 
You played against New England in the playoffs for Baltimore, scored a touchdown. It was a shootout game. Patriots won 35-31. What were your memories of that playoff game going against New England, scoring a TD? What were your memories of that game? Um, we were up two touchdowns twice, and it never felt like it. <laughs> the The whole time we felt like uh, we were up two touchdowns. We actually had – we were up two touchdowns. We had a possession, and we were telling ourselves, hey, if we can go ahead and get some type of points on the board, this game is over. And if we don't, we give Tom back the ball, we're in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Like, he he erased 14 points like it was nothing. And we felt that in, in the huddle. We felt that in the stadium. It, it was just that persona, like, hey, 14 isn't enough. And and that's all I remember is how we were up 14 twice and still didn't come out with the winner. That's interesting that you say that because I've always thought that even as good or better than just the Patriots themselves is the mystique of the Patriots. So you felt it on the sideline like, it just didn't feel comfortable even yeah, when you're up two digits. It didn't feel comfortable. Usually you're up 14 against other teams. You feel, okay, we're up 14. We, we can we can either hold this league or potentially just win win in this fashion. But with when you're playing the New England when it had Tom Brady, it was a difference because, you know, 21 points isn't nothing for him. He can always come back um, in, in a hurry. So in our mindset, and that team was, was super good, to be honest. They had Revis. They had a lot of guys that were super yeah. good. But for us to go up two touchdowns, and we went up two touchdowns comfortably. Like it wasn't like we struggled to get the to, to put the points on the board. But for them to answer back as fast as they did, like they literally, we we go up two touchdowns. They tied up. We go back up two touchdowns. They tied up. We get a chance to take the lead. We don't. Um, they take the lead. We still get another chance to tie the game at the end to take it in overtime, and we don't. So it's just that that Tom Brady effect, to be honest. <laughs> I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, we are doing a video portion of this interview, so I see where you are in your man cave right now. What's the coolest thing in your man cave? Uh, well, this is my office. Um, oh, well, okay. What's the coolest thing in the office then? Uh, the map. My map that's behind me. I, I literally, it's a map of everything in the world. And and for me, I'm a big, I'm big on wanting to travel and see different mm. things. So uh, the next time you probably see that map, it's going to have a whole bunch of little pins of places that I've visited. <laughs> First place you're going to go to when world craziness and lockdown and quarantine ends? Um, probably the Caribbean. I'm trying to go everywhere in the Caribbean first and then um, build some courage to get on that long 15, 18-hour <laughs> flight to, to head overseas and see some other stuff as well. Kamar Aiken, seven years in the NFL, spent some time with the Patriots, top receiver for the Ravens, played the Patriots in the playoffs, hosted the Believe in, uh, Believe in Ravens podcast and the Believe Podcast Network. Kamar, man, thank you. We appreciate the time and perspective. We'll definitely do it again. I appreciate you guys for having me, too. All right, again, I want to thank Kamar Aiken, uh, host of the Believe in Ravens podcast, for joining us uh, on my radio show, the Brady Farkas Show, and also subsequently letting us play it here on the Believe in Patriots podcast. Uh, I want to end the podcast on this note, Doug. Aaron, give me the things that make me want to drink sounder. The weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Yeah. yeah. Thank God I'm exhausted. But this makes me want to drink. I can't. I need a drink. Give me a drink. All right, Doug, this frustrates me every time I see it. You didn't play in the age of social media, but you play in the age of um, – rowdy fans and of newspaper columnists and of television and sports talk radio. Um, the Raven center, whose name escapes me now had to put out a statement saying that he was sorry for his bad snaps. He was sorry. He cost the team, but that fans were sending bad and threatening messages to his family. And I, I just, as a fan that gives fans a bad name. If you are a fan who attacks a player 
on social media or his family. I have zero time for you, and I think you are a loser. I really very, 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 very rarely ever think a player is not trying, and that is the cause of them to play poorly. Um, I can only imagine what it's like to be a professional athlete and have to deal with loser fans like that. And in my uh, experience, the fans that act that way are the ones that lost a bet. Yeah. I, you know, the guy that bet more than he probably should have and is upset. And this guy cost me. He he did it intentionally. And, it, you know, you know what? Guys are out there busting. Their, you have no idea how many hours a week these guys put in. How hard it – Yeah, as a fan, you know how sick that feeling is when the Patriots go undefeated but lost the Super Bowl. Yeah. The sick feeling of losing a football game. Of You multiply that by 20 – and you're starting to approach how the player feels about mm -hmm. losing a football game because he's put his heart and soul into it day in, day out. There are things happen. There's, there's weather conditions. There's sometimes the other guy over you is better than you are and you've got to find a way and it just isn't happening. I, and you don't know when that day's coming. I, I go, I had my one year that I filled in and I had the first game I started just lights out, right? Five touchdowns, first five drives. Next week against Denver, just as bad as it was good the week before. And you never know when that week's coming. You just have no idea. You've worked just as hard. And uh, it, it drives me nuts. I, you know, I, I, I'm a fan. I don't, I'm a fan. I, I like watch things and I feel for, but the guy at the foul line that misses the yeah. game winning foul shot, I feel for him, right? Instead of the team that won. Or the the quarterback throws the interception at the end of the game, yeah. That that just it breaks my heart when Ian Book was playing Clemson, yeah, Notre Dame Clemson, and Ian fumbled running into the end zone, the the scoring the tying touchdown with a couple minutes ago, and he fumbled the ball. You know what? I felt I felt so bad for him, but he had an opportunity to redeem himself. Came back, drove the length of the field, and tied the game. The only time I, as a fan or I, as a media member, ever call out an athlete, never on social media in that in that way, the only thing that ever frustrates me, and I think I'm pretty rational about it, is when you find out that the athlete didn't seem prepared. And what I mean by that is the guy was, you know, went two for 18 from the field in the NBA game, but he was at the club until 4 a.m. the night before. Or, um, you know, and this one, I, I, it didn't happen, but I was ready for it if it did. Um, Gronk's got a bad back and all off season, he's filming commercials and doing wrestling. And then if he got hurt in week one, I would have called him out and said, he didn't seem to prepare for the season properly. But that's the only time I really ever see myself questioning the athletes. Uh, I don't know. Preparedness, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. There's no doubt that's fair. And I, I couldn't imagine. I know how hard the game was for me, you know, to, to just have a job in the NFL. Um, I didn't, I don't drink. I don't, you know, party. I didn't do any of that. And I'd see guys go out. I can't imagine how tough it would be doing it the other way. You yeah. know, I, it's like, I know how hard it is for me. So I, you very, I never saw it in, in my days that, that anybody was out partying to the extent that it was going to affect their play, anything like that. I'm sure it's happened. It goes on, you know, guys that get in trouble, Super Bowl week. I can't relate to that. Yeah. Um, but yes, then then the criticism I think is valid. All but right, don't but don't attack his family. 
No, that's ridiculous. And and anybody who does that, I think you're right. Look, we're sponsored by by a gambling site, right? BetOnline.ag. Like, I get it. We're in bed with a gambling company too. But if you are somebody that is bitten off more that you can chew and then are taking that to someone, to an athlete or an athlete's family, I, I just, I have zero time for you. You know, gamble all you want, but if you can only afford to lose $5 and only bet $5, because um, I, I think you're right. I think gambling guy and fantasy guy are a new negative as far as fandom goes. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, he knew he, he knew that you had him on your fantasy team that week, and he intentionally dropped that touchdown. That's back. right. That's right. So, <laughs> when Nick Chubb for the Browns ran out of bounds at the one-yard line the mm. other day, oh. the, the gamblers and the fantasy people have never been more mad because the spread was Browns minus three and a half. So everybody, really? So everybody who took the Browns lost because Chubb didn't score. And everyone who took Houston won because Chubb didn't score. The gambling people have never been more intolerable than that day. <laughs> I love that. I trust me. I the first time I ever found out about gambling that there was actually a spread on a game. We were playing at Army, and I was in college, and we were up by thirty points or something. And I came out of the game in the fourth quarter, and everybody was in the stands yelling and having fun, and and all of a sudden. Army went down the field and scored against our second team late in the game. And they start swearing at the coaching staff, swearing at the players, yelling about, and I'm turning to the guys on the team, like, what the, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, the spreads 27. And we just let up the touchdown. And that was the day I found out about the point spreads. <laughs> well, Patriots win. They beat the Ravens 23-17. Brady Farkas, Doug Flutie, Aaron Wells, Believe in Patriots podcast. Uh, what we'll do is we will come back again later in the week with a shorter preview of the Texans game. A couple other things I want to run by Doug. So uh, until then, everybody, go Pats. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.